Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. All the boys. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issuing people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Volume 204 of Broadway Bullet for March 13th, 2008. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got a lot of great stuff for you this week. We got two of the actors from the new Broadway show, Passing Strange. We talked to the two composers and hear music from the new song cycle, Fugitive Songs. And we've got uh, Elizabeth Rex from Niku Spoon Theater. We're going to have Listening Room hear uh, John Pollard's song At Stake from his new uh, song cycle CD, uh, kind of. And uh, we're going to get started here with, uh, I'm hoping, a special treat for a lot of you. Well, I've been talking a little bit about this YouTube musical I've been writing and putting together, uh, Cupid, and I'm actually ready to give you guys a sneak peek with one of the songs. We've got a finished vocals and a rough mix. This isn't the final mix, but I'm kind of ready to let people hear a little bit of what this might be like. We're also going to be doing a showcase for um, backers on uh, Tuesday, March 18th at 6 p.m. It's kind of exciting. And I kind of thought uh, I didn't want to let you guys out on this potential opportunity. If there's somebody out there, you guys more than anybody might know exactly the potential that is involved in this. If you're interested in attending, uh, the presentation will only last about an hour. You can give me an email at mgilbo at broadwaybullet.com. That's Amazon Michael Gilbo, G-I-L-B-O-E at broadwaybullet.com, and I can give you the information of where's to go. I'll give you a little bit more information after the song, but I'm going to play a track here. The song is called Some Things Never Change, and as kind of a brief setup, this is the two supporting roles, Anthony and Heather, explaining in separate areas uh, to the leads, Austin and Caitlin, uh, why they just got to keep putting their hat in the ring on relationships and what goes wrong. Uh, it kind of progresses uh, after one segment into uh, the streets, where there's kind of like a you got served dance off from the geeks and the high maintenance girls and uh, <laughs> stomp the yard as it culminates. So anyway, again, here's a rough mix, final vocals of the song "Some Things Never Change" from Cupid the Musical. That one thought he was a jock. He didn't play. He watched Espen till ten o'clock. This one. To read way more into Shakespeare than he was in me. That one thought she'd be my boo. She kept calling me and calling me when I said we're through. That one kept trying to get me in bed when I finally said yes. Instead, he chose Fred. You gotta dig it even if you look twice. Just don't take home the merchandise when the seal in the store. Take them home, you find out the rest. Hey, hey, here comes another one. Oh, hey, hey, 
but run for your life. Boy, it's a fatal attraction. This one had a perfect six pack, but I couldn't get over all the hair on his back. That one, I thought she was the bomb until somebody pointed out she looked like my mom. This one, he was so sweet, but that wasn't the smell coming off of his feet. If you're gonna play your fighting the odds, you never know what waits in the cards. You may think you have a So we're going to kind of change the world here with something fresh, new, and exciting, uh, distributing musical initially on YouTube. Uh, it's a 
we're a relatively low budget project. We can shoot it on as little as thirty-five thousand, though we're maybe hoping to reach up to a hundred thousand at this low budget. Nothing will be wasted. <laughs> because of that, it doesn't have to be a huge commitment. We are considering possibly taking investors as low as one thousand, if uh, depending on who comes on board. And I guarantee you that even though we're giving this away serially on YouTube. Uh, there is plenty of ways that this has to profit. Um, I'll be talking a lot about that at the presentation, as well as we're going to be giving kind of a Reader's Digest condensed version of the show uh, with all the actors and playing the songs over the sound system at uh, the facility. So if you're interested in possibly getting involved with this uh, and don't want to miss this opportunity, just give me an email at mgilbo, that's M-G-I-L-B-O-E, at broadwaybullet.com, and I'll get you the information. You can also let me know if you're interested but are unable to attend the meeting for any reason, you're out of town or live out of town, uh, and I can probably get you a digital packet as well to peruse. And, you know, coming to the presentation is not a commitment to invest. So if you have any interest at all, you know, feel free to pop on by and say hello. A few quick credits on that song. The lead vocals are performed by cast members Aday Herbert and Lizzie Moore. Uh, the background vocals and the solo lines were performed by our trio, which plays a lot of roles in the show. That is uh, Tyler Stein. He's actually a Broadway Bullet listener who auditioned hearing about it here. Uh, Brant Michaels and Laura Smith. Uh, the song was written by myself with my collaborator, Chris Williams. We did music and lyrics together and uh, produced the song here in my uh, Times Square studio and producing. It's like, it's a rough mix still. Um, but also, which reminds me, if you or anybody else you know is looking to do some recording, uh, I do all sorts of work at reasonable rates. You can just give me a buzz at 646-345-3433. And I think it's time to move on to the rest of the program. On the boards. Passing Strange has just opened on Broadway to some fantastic reviews. The show features a mix of uh, R&B, soul, gospel, rock, a bit of everything. And we have two of the actors from the ensemble, Coleman Domingo and Rebecca Naomi Jones, both making their Broadway debut with this. How are you guys doing? Good, what's up? Quite well. <laughs> <laughs> what's up, Broadway? <laughs> so, so how did your parents react when you uh, told them you were going to Broadway? Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, well, mine are dead. Okay, <laughs> okay. well, so please, uh, I don't know where this. I'm sorry. No, uh, actually, no, but they, they are they are dead. But it's not it's not funny. But you know, yes, they. My parents passed away a couple years ago, and I'm sure they're very proud and very happy. Um, as they've they've always been, you know. So um, they've always been very proud of me, and I'm sure that this is something just a cherry on top. And was, we, we see her parents all the time. Yeah, we do. I was actually thinking about, about that on opening night. I was thinking yeah. about your parents being there with us, oh. with all of our parents. Um, yeah, yeah we, we've got a nice, a nice set of, of moms and dads mm -hmm. um, here the on the show. mom and papa, all of us, yeah. Yeah. Um, my parents are so thrilled. My father used to be um, the musical director for an oldies doo-wop group called the Cadillacs and um, recently stopped working with the band, and I think he's been really mu missing music and everything. And so for him, watching me go on to, to make it, you know, <laughs> whatever that means, um, has been really special for him and has definitely, I think, been for him a, 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 sort of, I think he's watching me 
um, carry the torch, yeah. you know, as as they say. And and for my mom too, she's so excited because she can, you know, tell her mom brings like friends like every week, like right. I see yeah. her all the time. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she she brings friends, she sends friends, and then comes to meet them. <laughs> she's so she's cute. On it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, f- first off, for our <laughs> listeners who are new to Passing Strange, maybe uh, it's an interesting show to try to describe. Uh, it's a real ensemble piece. I mean, mm-hmm. it, what, is it seven actors total? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 Seven actors total doing tons of different things. Uh, seven actors with lots well, of personalities. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So uh, maybe you guys can best explain, you know, having been with us for a while, what's the best way to sum up and describe Passing Strange? I think Passing Strange is a wild, beautiful trip to the unknown and to the very well-known, to, to home. And I think it's, just that it's a journey of home, um, just like many stories, like, like The Wizard of Oz or, um, I don't know, don't you think? Absolutely. So, yeah. it's, a, it's a coming-of-age story. Yeah. It's about a young boy in search of becoming a man and becoming uh, his own person and in search of home and in yeah. search of what's real. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also in search of, of his art and, and music. He's this kid who's just so in love with music and for some reason cannot find that same um, natural understanding with yeah. human beings. Yeah. And so it's just this strange struggle of of how to get that feeling, yeah. I guess, like, like, that he yeah, gets from it, art yeah. in mm-hmm. real life. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, the show is uh, written predominantly by the f- one-name performance artist, Stu. He's <laughs> done a lot yes. of stuff. Stu as in Campbell's. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, not um, as in Stu Art. Mm-hmm. Uh, the band's on stage the whole way through, very tightly integrated. They even perform and, uh, yeah. and do the stuff. It's just a, a real interesting piece. And uh, some of what I want to talk about, and I think it's okay to talk about it because I, th- I really think it's kind of central to the play, is it's, it's really refreshing to see a quote-unquote black play on Broadway that isn't a black play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny because I think that, that comment, I mean, it, it isn't a black play, but, but it is, ultimately, it is a black play because of the experience, although the experience is so universal that it is many different, you know, the, 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 the voice, I think, I think, by Stu being so specific with this this youth's journey, which is what's making it so universal. This is this young black kid from South Central L.A. that wants to live outside of the box. You know what I mean? But, you know, the, of course, that transposes itself to, you know, someone living in... Uh, in in Hick Boonville somewhere, and right. they want and they want to play jazz or something like you know what I mean. So right. it's it's the same story in many ways. So I think that ultimately it is, you know, it's just my own personal thing. Maybe it's about like colorblind, what what is and what it isn't. But I'm like actually it is a black play, but it's not what people think are just the it's. It it's showing stereotypes. It breaks stereotypes and just saying, yeah, hey, black plays actually have many more themes and many more stories. Right. And this is just a story that hasn't been told. And hopefully right. Broadway's eager to hear many more of those stories. And there's so many more uh, than just, you know, your old, you know, August Wilson sitting in front of on a porch somewhere, you know, cooking right. some greens. With a tuna can for With, a cigarette ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, you know. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. diss on August Wilson. And I think Hollywood's kind of limited to the, the movies to like either like you know heist capers drug movies or big family gatherings there's you know there's certain types there's certain you know that that get mm. out there in the media and I, I really think this play breaks almost all of those types that, yeah. yeah well it also that, translates into the, the the roles that we traditionally play as well yeah. i mean it's just it's what you said Coleman is that i think this play because it's so specific and these are real 
well-rounded people, even though some mm. of us play, you know, four or five of these very <laughs> specific people. Right. They are real people. Yes. Um, no, they're not real people. They're characters. But they're, they're, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're well-thought-out, well-drawn-out yeah. characters. And so... And it's odd, but because they're so specific, that is what is so yeah. universal, and that is what reaches all all kinds of people. I mean, we've noticed yeah. that that here our Broadway audiences are surprisingly so diverse. Much I mean, more diverse than any of the audiences we've had at Berkeley Rep or the or public. Or the public, yeah. yeah. They're, I mean, diverse racially and and age wise. Yeah. And I mean, we're just there were so many kids the other day. It was yeah. like I thought they were watching Lion King. I know. Yeah. We <laughs> had tons <laughs> like of kids, but olds. also like m- older audiences, and people are really getting it in yeah. this way that's that we haven't seen as much before and Absolutely. I think people are more willing to get it. Yeah. Um, I don't know I don't know what that is, but it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah. Now I know you both were in fact pretty much the whole cast was the at the uh, <laughs> at Berkeley Rep. At, yeah, at and the, the public, public yeah. at Berkeley Rep and <clears throat> the public. Yeah. So how long has you, have you been working with this piece? Uh, well we we've both been working on it for a year and a half. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for since uh, it began its like world premiere. We they, we joined uh, yeah. the, the company. A couple of the actors started out in previous workshops, and that's how they found like Daniel Breaker at a Sundance um, Institute and D. Adrian Chad were found uh, during um, the Stanford Stanford workshop. Stanford workshop. Right, and then they, we joined when when it was actually going to be production. When it was going to be when it was already a uh, yeah. a co production. Yeah, they had they had to work all that stuff out and then bring in the big and then, shots. Hello, workshop. We all do you that. Call me for the production. <laughs> you call me when you're ready to produce it. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Don't you know who I, you, I think I am? Don't you know who my parents think I am going to be? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, just in the time period that you've been involved, has there been a lot of changes done oh, with yeah. the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, when, it in was every like, single way. In every single way. I mean, there, we were changing the show up until a few weeks ago. Yeah, up until like two days before we locked the show. We completely changed the ending, mm-hmm. uh, where it was a consistent ending where we were all there in many ways, right. and you guys, you know, you right. guys were the stewardesses again and all that. And then they changed it, and I was like, like, oh my gosh, it's so radical yeah. at the at the, you know, the the eleventh hour. It was yeah, so great, but um, but it did really did make the show a bit more cohesive. We we had changes in every single scene. Yes, even things that we thought were locked down for a while. Yes, like I got nervous anytime anyone near went went near um, Arlington Hill because I'm like, yes. that's been the same forever. Forever, you know. Yeah. And I was just like. <gasps> Absolutely. What are you going to do? Uh, uh, any little change, I was like... Oh, yeah, we all have had moments of, like <laughs> yeah. that where we're, it's like we feel like we own <laughs> like something at this point, you know, yeah. and um, and something changes and it just feels like the the yeah. entire being. <laughs> yes, yeah, like it unravels everything. Yeah, You're like, oh my God, I have no I? idea. You know, I burst into tears when I rehearsed. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> but like Mr. Venus of Berlin was changed like... Was the most drastic change I think was yes. was always very different. Yes. And in Berkeley, I was a bit more glam and more trans, trans transvestite yeah, wise. Yeah, definitely. More. Yeah, and then at the public, I was more just like you know your your fucked up rocker. You know what I mean? And then and then we're making him a bit more S and M. More uh, even more so of a performance artist. Yeah, and that more was so a big, performance artist. Yeah, definitely. and that really kind of. Um, Kind of freaked me out a little, just a little, because it was just—I don't know what I was. Huge changes. Yeah, such huge changes, and you're—you know—you're going off of old as an actor. You're retaining, you know, as as an actor, you know, you're retaining <laughs> all this all this information that you've you've had all this research and, yeah. and stuff that you've been, you know, 
yeah. uh, filter, you know, filling yourself up with, and all of a sudden it's just like, okay, we're just changing the whole game. Absolutely. And which so, is, but I mean, the which cool is good, thing about which makes it, it so alive and so active. The yeah, show, I think. yeah, yeah. And, the, and these are these like big, broad stroke changes that, yeah. like that. But yeah. then there are then so you're, many you're, like, like you're, smaller you're, things. Like you and Daniel's story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like th- the many, many of the smaller things just have fortified the story, the storytelling, and and the clarity of this journey. Yeah. I think for the audience and for us yeah. um, that we've that we've made. I mean, we've made huge changes. We've cut out entire scenes and scenes that people still come to see the show and they're like, "Oh, I missed that I miss scene." That, yeah. You know, and we miss it too. But it, it's it's funny to to see and to feel the difference. Yeah. I mean, it really it really it's is true. just just a stronger piece as a whole. Yeah. Um, might be worth mentioning on here just for our listeners who maybe missed it or whatever, but we do have like a lot of footage of the we on the season premiere. We have a big long audio montage of a lot of the music from uh, an open rehearsal oh, cool. that we were able to tape, and we've also got some video footage up on our player at BroadwayBullet.com. So nice. cool. mention it, and they can see you guys and hear a little bit of what it's about there. And uh, one thing I noticed is this is um, clearly a vocally challenging production. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's um, it's sort of all over the place, and we're all primarily on stage the whole time, so we're just working. Yeah, we're working up there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's challenging because we play so many different characters whose voices live in different different parts, parts of, of our, our register, our body, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, we we both do a lot of screaming yeah. in the show. We, we scream a lot. Yeah, and, and then you have all these high. You know songs. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It's it's been it's been interesting. I mean, the the good thing is it's not like the the music that we sing is is really intimate and it, it does tell story more than it's like uh, it more never feels like it's, it's not like Sondheim and that you have to yeah right yeah. right it never feels like it has to be absolutely polished yeah. and perfect which is great because I mean as actors normally normally you know other musicals that I've been in I've definitely I would have the state that my voice is often in when I'm singing songs in the show, I normally would have been freaking out. <laughs> but um, yeah. but it's sort of okay when I you know I get to yeah. my my second act song and I'm singing and I feel sort of raspy and um, oh those low notes are really low today and you know it's sort of okay. Yeah. It's like this. It's it's not really about me singing pretty. It's about me trying to convey something to my acting partner and yeah, you know. and, and that's what Stu and Heidi and Annie wanted originally as well. I remember uh, with the breakdown they wanted absolutely. They didn't want you to come in and do any sort of Broadway belty things, or, no. or you know, to re- they wanted you to come in and sing with full of heart and heart and soul, right? And and be willing to and be willing to go flat, right? If, right. if it's more about the storytelling, truly, you, you, you know what I mean? Truly, really, they were, they were they'd really rather you t- actively turned off by <laughs> yes. musical and, theater singing. So you go over. see Passing Strange, and you'll see a bunch of flats. Come <laughs> 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 see Passing Strange, we suck, <laughs> but we're really happy. <laughs> But even with that, are there certain, you know, regimens you have to carry, take yourself to make sure that you're up for doing this eight performances a week? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. We we take a lot of naps. Yeah. Lots of naps. (laughs) We take like, I call my bed a candy bed (laughs) because with my taffy pillows and my my marshmallows marshmallows. (laughs) sheets, you know, I go go up to my candy bed in between shows, like on a Wednesday or Saturday and I take a nap and Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, well, try to stay well rested and, you know, drink lots of water and just be disciplined. And you know we we're a 
we're a group of people that like we really like to hang out with each other. Yeah. But we also have to discipline ourselves and just say, okay, you know, all right, tonight's my night. I'm going home. Actually, right. you guys go have a have a cocktail, but I'm going home. And, right. Yeah. And we have, I mean, the the crew that we have is so good to us. Everybody mm-hmm. is so good to us at that theater. People who have been with us, yeah. creatives who have been with us forever, and people who we have just met. I mean, Like, good do you pick out the green M&Ms, or good This <laughs> 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 is about, like, get, getting you tea, or getting you, yeah. you getting you healthy, or if you, if, you know, and Daniel was having some, um, he was having some uh, vocal issues for a minute, and he, uh, just because his voice was really tired after we ha- came off, like, a 14-day rehearsal, and, you know, they, they made sure they got him to, you know, the right the right uh, physician and things like that, and took care of him, because Absolutely. they really... They, seriously, everyone, um, the whole the whole staff, they're so supportive. The whole building, our, so down everyone. to our wardrobe people. Who also concerned. Are, are so good to us. Everybody is so good to us. True. I'm curious, has Stu missed a performance? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Like, oh, somehow no. I doubted he did, but I'm still going, wow, for him. He's got a voice that he said his voice was made for, you know, <coughs> Lots of performances. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. It just to be, he always has it in him, even yeah, when he's he really, got a cold if, or something. Yeah, even when he yeah. thinks he doesn't, yeah. you know, he'll like have a little tea, or he'll be like, "What? What do people? What do you people do when you? <laughs> you know, Stu's so like, I don't know, I don't I do don't know. <laughs> you know, He's so funny that way because he loves to to be that guy, to play that role of the guy who like, I don't know, I've just sort of been, do I've thing? been thrown up in here. No, I didn't write this. You know, he's like so like, <laughs> he's like this man who came from out of nowhere and plopped onto this Broadway stage. And then, you know, it's time to show up and the man delivers. It's every single time. Every single time. Yeah. <laughs> and in your mission, you know, my girl was going, how can you do this every night? Does he have an understudy? She's looking at the program. Oh, he does have an understudy. Yes, and I said, yes, you know, I have a feeling he doesn't get to go on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Somehow, I mean, so still, far, we, yeah. Yeah. So far, so far, so, so, far, good. so good. So far, yeah. so good with yeah. all of us. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But we do have a, a fantastic group of fantastic understudies. Fantastic group of understudies. Like wonderful big hearts and great talents, and so yeah. it's it's a nice, yeah. it's a nice mix. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. So, uh, what are a couple of your favorite projects that you've done before Passing Strange, leading up to it? A couple of my favorite projects. Uh, a couple of my favorite projects have been. Uh, I was recently working uh, with. Uh, like members of like um, the Tectonic Theater Company um, on a play called The People's Temple, and I was working on that mm. for five years. And we did it at the Guthrie and at Perseverance Theater, and but premiered it at Berkeley Rep. And it was all about Jim Jones and mass suicide. It doesn't. It, and it sounds weird to be for it to be a favorite project, but it was really about um, telling the story of the survivors and and also um, telling the stories about how people got involved in such a movement like this in the '70s, mm. and how and hopefully to hopefully heal. And uh, it's a project that actually will, that still has a life, and hopefully will make a make its a debut in New York sometime. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of theater, piece of art, um, directed by Lee Fondakowski, who was the head writer for like Laramie Project and and um, Gross Indecency and things like that. And a lot of the company members from there, and it's it's beautiful. That's one of my favorite things that I, that I'm. And I was working on that for five years as a dramaturg and an actor, and uh, I look, you know, that's one of my favorite pieces right now. Mm. And Rebecca. Um. <clears throat> I, you know, my some of my favorite things have been, of course, same with Passing Strange, the, the, the little engines that could, the the smaller things that have been really collaborative and just have made me laugh in the process. Um, I I did a reading. I was actually just sort of a replacement actor temporarily um, for this big stage reading of um, It's Karate Kid the musical. I played bitch kick number one. <laughs> <laughs> I was a member of a three-girl gang who beat the 
shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, She's was, giving a tough look for yeah, those yeah. <laughs> You hear that tough look on my face? You hear it? Um, yeah, that was, that was great fun. Great, great, great fun. Um, and I, one of the other things I loved was doing a, a play at Summer Play Festival a couple of years back. It was uh, one of the only straight plays I've had the, the fortune to do since I've uh, gotten out of school, and it was called How Love is Spelt, and I played this totally trashy London party girl and just, you know, just was like hung over and like it was just great great fun and mm-hmm. um and then I also just love doing things like Sundance um yeah. I did the Sundance Theater Lab I had the fortune of doing it twice this year um over the summer and then also in the winter time and I think that kind of work is so important and so special and beautiful yeah. and you get to work with such excited such people who are in yeah. it for the work and mm-hmm. yeah yeah visionary people and it's great to to act in, you know, in projects that are not about actors and just to have mm-hmm. it be about the writer, mm-hmm. um, you know, developing their work and everything, so. Yeah. Yeah, m- mentioning that, uh, where did you guys train uh, for theater? The world. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the world has taught me well, everything. Specifically for those, uh, you know, in our high school students may be evaluating where they want to go to college. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I went to Temple University, but my degree is in journalism. Oh, I thought wow. I wanted to go into magazine production. Uh, so I'm a writer. You know I'm, I'm, oh, you didn't know that? No. So I'm truly a writer. I have no degree in theater whatsoever. I have no idea what I'm doing here. And look at you now. <laughs> and look at me now, kids. No, but, uh, <laughs> but, then, but then I moved to San Francisco just with always, uh, I took a few classes in Philadelphia, and then I went to San Francisco, and I just started... I started working. I started auditioning, and I started working immediately. And then I feel like, honestly, my uh, working has always been my training because uh, I would always work at these major companies like California Shakespeare Theater, Shakespeare Santa Cruz, ACT, Berkeley Rep, you name it, in the Bay Area, I worked there. And I always felt like I always learned from, I was the actor that was always coming to rehearsal, even if I wasn't called, to just uh, watch some of the uh, senior actors. And, and so I've, I think I've, I've learned from like apprenticeship in many ways mm. and also by working. And so um, that's been my education. And then, you know, and I teach as well. So um, I teach at like at the, at the O'Neill at the National Theater Institute. And um, and teaching also, I, f- I, st- I feel like I'm still learning by teaching as well. Mm-hmm. Er- early on, did you find that uh, your lack of a formal, you know, university kind of training in theater? Uh, Made you stand out in a good way. Did you find it helped? Did you when, find when it I moved to New York? I, when I moved to New York uh, seven years ago, uh, the agency that I went with said that I'm always going to be up against you know people who came out of Yale and Juilliard, et cetera, et cetera. But my what what my my background, the places that I've worked and the people that I've worked with was actually kind of equal to that in a way. Although mm-hmm. people kind of like they would rather I had on my you know that I went to some fancy school. But that's just some that's such a new thought and new theory. That's and true. I come from some such an I believe old school thinking in terms of it, it being, you know, it's a craft, and you and you it, you learn from from working and doing and watching and being a part of the theater and working in, you know, I worked in every basement in San Francisco and I worked on every main stage and, um, and I think that was my my training and I think that um, I think there there is a little there is a little uh, um, how can I say I want to say it's a little. Uh, uh, bashing against sometimes against if you didn't go to a fancy school. Oh yeah, there's some. some um, there's just like an unsaid. Yeah, this unsaid. Mm, not all that great. Right. You know, right. but then you just prove yourself with your with your gift and your joy and your and your skill and you just keep doing it. And I think I've just I think tenacity. I've, I've been acting for 15 years and. You know, and still looking 22, of course. But uh, <laughs> I, I thought you were still in high school, actually. Well, you know, I do look like I'm in high school. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think yeah. it's true. I think some, 
for some people, school is so beneficial just to sort of, you know, strip you of all these preconceived habits and pre- mm-hmm. preconceived notions of like what you're supposed to do and mm-hmm. and and for some people like that structure is really good and really special and um and just for some of us who are really heady I think yeah. it's good to just like so I mean at the same time school can make you very very heady yeah, yeah. Um, and that's you know something you have to shake off eventually but I think I think it's so <laughs> it's so not based on that, you know. That mm. that be, being having come from a fancy school should not determine your value. You I, I find it interesting you talk about shaking it off because actually, I've, not just for acting, but I think for almost any stage of art, I've kind of felt there's like you know three stages, or, or you know, the, there's the first stage where you just find out you're great. You don't know what the hell you're doing, yeah. you know. But for some reason, people like it, and, yeah, yeah, and you just yeah. Go, and then then so and some people can stay there mm-hmm. forever. But then you know whether it's school kind of things down or or you run across a role or a song or whatever that you just are stuck and you can't do it and all of a sudden you lose a, a certain amount of confidence or yep. you, yeah. you get yes. into your head and maybe somehow you, somewhere along the line you lose that magic from the first time and then you go through the education learn everything and then you get like kind of sometimes kind of heavy yeah. and then all of a sudden you learn hey <clears throat> I can just forget all this yeah. Go back to you know yeah. that that first energy, but then I've got this toolbox right. when I run yeah. into problems. Right, yeah, true. Which is I, definitely where yeah. I think I'm at. I went to North Carolina School of the Arts, which is like I loved it there. I loved it, loved it, loved it because it was, you know, it's one of those like top conservatories, yeah. but it's like the most supportive environment I felt when I visited all these schools. You know, it was like it was people who really wanted to care for you as a human being and as a performer, and I mean kick your butt you know it was like I was going home crying and like just so uh, confused all the time and um, and so heady as a result but now it's like a couple of years out of school I just found myself understanding what I could <clears throat> let go now mm-hmm. what was just in there I feel like that our ensemble is such <clears throat> and people keep saying that our ensemble is so tight and such a good ensemble because I think we, we come from very different backgrounds and approaches to the work. Yes. And I think that's why, yes. I mean, between Heidi and Stu and Annie, you know, from Yale and uh, Daniel Juilliard, Deidre, De- NYU, you, yeah. North Carolina, you know, yeah. Issa, Harvard. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. and you know, Chad Dartmouth. We've got these, all these big thinkers in many ways. I think we have a lot of intellectuals Absolutely. in many ways and everyone is... Um, they have specialties in such different yeah, ways. You know yeah, what I mean? we have, and we have yeah. such different aesthetics as well. I think, mm-hmm. like our style, our, our, and I were having this conversation. Like our styles, even yeah. within the work that we're doing, yeah. the, our styles of acting, or you know, our, our kinds of choices that we make are so different and specific yeah. to who we are. True. which is so great. Yeah, it's so great that, that we didn't all come from. Yeah, the they same would all come from the place. same sort of background. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're from different parts of the country as well, and mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And very different experiences in, just in life, you know. Too bad we all look the same. Too bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can tell you apart. <laughs> I'm Colin. <laughs> I'm Marion Selvin. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there at some you point. <laughs> well, because I am. Right. Well, that's why I heard it. So, Passing Strange is set to run for forever, for, uh, <laughs> like cats. <laughs> forever. Well, yes, we're going to be the longest-running musical on the Great Brown Way. That's right. Yes, I and think so. The website is www.passingstrangeonbroadway.com. Yeah. And there's a lot of information there. Uh, again, people can go to broadwaybullet.com, get the season premiere, to hear a lot of the songs from the show, and uh, view the video player, some video clips, and. 
uh, Coleman Domingo and Rebecca Naomi Jones. I thank you so much for uh, joining us here in the middle of this exciting time for yourselves and, and sharing you. your experiences. Thank you. Yay, this is fun. This is great. Thank <laughs> you so much. Come out and play with us, you guys. Yeah. We're a lot of fun. The Call Board. Oh, this first one is fun. I'm not even sure how I can deliver this with a straight face. A source at Us Weekly has stated that there is a very large possibility that backup dancer and famed ex-husband to Britney Spears, Kevin Federline, will be joining the cast of Legally Blonde, the musical. The staff and creative team of Blonde have not confirmed the details of this yet, but a friend of Federline said that he is excited about the opportunity and would bring his children with him to New York. I guess uh, he just is really excited about a job. Uh, also, In the Heights, Broadway's newest off-Broadway transfer, will have its cast album released on June 3rd, 2007 by Ghostlight Records. The two-disc set will contain the entire score of the hip-hop Latin-infused show that recently opened on Broadway following a month of previews and an award-winning off-Broadway run. And in additional casting news, the original principal cast of the critically acclaimed murder musical mystery whodunit Curtains have re-signed their contracts, extending them for another six months. Playing at the Al Hirschfield Theater, Curtain stars Tony Award winner David Hyde Pierce, Deborah Monk, and Karen Ziemba. The cast will be in its original form until August 31st, 2007. Sondheim Lapine, Evans, and Russell of the Roundabout Theater Company's recent revival of Sunday in the Park with George, now running at Studio 54, will appear on Good Morning America on ABC. The episode will feature a segment focusing on the revival of the production and will be aired on March 17, 2008 at 7 a.m. And the call board is being sponsored by Roy Aria Studios, located at 43rd and 8th, hey, in the same building as us, in the heart of the theater district. They've got tons of great rehearsal spaces, performance venues at a great price, and they've got a staff who has been involved in all aspects of production and truly knows how to help out however you might need it. The spaces are equity approved, and they're easily accessible by Port Authority, Penn Station, and all subways. Feel free to give them a call at 212-957-8358 or send an email to bookings at Roy Arias Studios for any inquiry or to view the spaces. On the boards. Perhaps the life of an upcoming songwriter means dodging a lot of bills, and uh, I'm wondering if that has anything to do with the inspiration behind Fugitive Songs, which is by <laughs> the up-and-coming songwriting duo uh, Chris Miller, the composer, and Nathan Tyson, the lyricist. Fugitive Songs is opening on the 9th of March, and they're here in the studio to talk about the show and let us hear a little bit of the music from it. How you guys doing? Very good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, want to introduce yourself so listeners can connect your uh, voice with your name? Hey, I'm Chris. I'm Chris Miller. How's it going? And I'm Nathan. I wrote the lyrics to yeah. this little show. <laughs> All right. Well, just you know, when we were talking before this started, and uh, there's kind of a long story behind uh, this thing, but basically, maybe give us Fugitive Songs in a nutshell, and then we'll kind of back up and trace some of the things that went into it. Well, Fugitive Songs is a uh, a song cycle, uh, eighteen songs. Um, and the kind of organizing principle of the show is uh, every song that's being sung, um, the character is running either literally or figuratively from something. And uh, it's a five-piece ensemble and a, uh, a five-piece band. Um, Chris and I, and we talk about this, we, we write a lot of um, kind of folk music, very American music, and, uh, and that's the makeup of the band, too. Um, but... I was How do you really find folkies in New York? How do you find folkies? <laughs> oh, there's a huge, there's a, there's a huge uh, folk movement happening. Yeah, my girlfriend was just telling me that Gavin DeGraw opened up a, uh, 
a folk club that's uh, like right on Houston Street now, and they have live folk music every night of the week. Wow. Um, anyway, we're going to go. <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> Find some musicians. Yeah. Let's go to that instead of Fugitives. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go to Fugitives and then be then. inspired to go seek out the folk clubs yeah, yeah, yeah. downtown. <laughs> so now you've been, you've been riding together how long now? Well, we met at NYU, um, in, we graduated in 2001 from the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program, uh, so about eight, seven, eight years now. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've had a couple full-length full, full length musicals, actual book musicals that you've done as well, correct? Yeah, and we've had some good development um, with all of our pieces, but this is our first uh, New York production, which is exciting. Um, our... The first show we wrote together um, is called The Burnt Part Boys. That's an original story, and it's it's a coming-of-age story. We always try to pitch it like, uh, it's like Stand By Me, the musical without the leeches. And uh, (laughs) it's a story about these uh, five boys that, uh, four boys that travel up um, a mountain and uh, are are going to go look at an abandoned mine where um, they're... They lost their fathers 10 years ago. And uh, that was our thesis at NYU. And then we kind of put it away for a while. And then we have this relationship with Bill Finn, who was one of our teachers at NYU. And uh, he works at Barrington Stage Company. And they were starting a a new works program where they uh, do new musicals. And he was like, whatever happened to the Burn Part Boys? And we said, well, actually, nothing had happened to it. Uh, so we brought in a book writer named Mariana Elder, completely rewrote it, um, stripped away, stripped down the score, totally changed the story, and uh, and now that show uh, had a um, its world premiere two summers ago at Barrington, and now it's uh, opening next season um, at the Vineyard Theater off Broadway. You know, I hear that was also the original plot for High School Musical. <laughs> stripped it down, wrote a new book, and yeah, <laughs> which two, three, four. <laughs> So, um, what brought this to the stage in New York, the the Fugitive Songs? What was the impetus that finally got this work to... Well, we were waiting for... We, we'd been waiting to develop and develop the bird part at the vineyard and, and, and sort of in our... Uh, Impatience. Uh, we we decided to go forward with with finally uh, doing this particular piece that had been on our minds um, for for probably as long as we've been writing together. Uh, so this theater company, Dreamlight Theater Company, had approached us and wanted to work with us on something on one of our many different things that we had been that we had thrown out into the universe because they're because you know as a writer you just want to keep generating work for yourself so they they approached us and we had been talking and talking and and we decided that maybe we should do this song cycle uh finally after all these years uh so we got together with them and we started talking with them and 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 this particular piece it 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 sort of feels grassroots from the beginning anyway so we just uh we decided to go with this with this fantastic uh, theater company that um, has been very very amazing in, in making making sure that this piece actually happened and and it, it all happened very quickly and 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 in a very cool way and I think that it at the end of the at the end of the day when we open it'll be it'll have that grassroots feeling and and still be a really amazing piece so. 
Yeah. The yeah. Dreamlight Theater Company. Considering, you know, a show like The Burnt Part Boys has been around really since 2000, and, uh, you know, finally we're getting our mm-hmm. production eight years later. What's really beautiful about Fugitive Songs is, you know, we met Chip and Chad from Dreamlight Theater last summer. Yeah. You know, and uh, didn't have a show, just kind of had an idea and burned them a CD with a bunch of songs. And they said, yeah, let's do it. And in less than a year, we have this production. And, and that's really amazing. And uh, they've given us space, but also, you know, have forced deadlines upon us, too, which has been really good. Yeah. And um, we're really proud of this show. And yeah. so. Well, maybe this is a good time to take a listen to one of the songs from the show, a, a demo of yours. You want to set this one up? Tell us about it a little bit? Yeah, sure. So this um, first song is called Passing Tracy. And uh, basically it's about a guy uh, being haunted by his ex-girlfriend. And he's on the road, but unfortunately everywhere he goes, um, with every car that passes, he... Uh, sees kind of the image of his girlfriend and uh, singing it on the uh, on this recording is Luther Creek alright let's take a listen great yeah. hold on tight here comes another bombshell in a Buick I feel her hands behind the wheel coming my direction she changes lanes breezes by Eyes her rearview mirror. She checks to find who else her ex cursing her reflection. Who, 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 who was that girl? I think her name was Tracy. She used to be my girlfriend. Ooh, 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 ooh. There goes Tracy. I'm over her. I'm done with her. Moving on and moving far, but Tracy's behind the wheel of. Every passing car Here comes a jeep Here comes a bus A line of guided missiles She must like feeding me her dust And I must like to eat it Clear my mind Enjoy the ride Forget the day she dumped me but it's just the heat and the sweat making me repeat ooh, 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 Who was that girl? I think her name was Tracy She used to be my girlfriend ooh, 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 ooh. There goes Tracy I'm over her, I'm done with her Isn't it bizarre that Tracy's behind the wheel of every passing car? In a semi, 18 wheels flying by. Tracy in a pickup, honking horns and chucking gravel. How much longer can I travel? How much farther? How much faster? Playing catch up with disaster. There's a fine yellow line between being passed by her. Getting past her Who was that girl? I think her name was Tracy She used to be my girlfriend 
Running. Who who do you who do you find are some of your biggest influences or whose work do you enjoy the most? There's so many. I mean, I love uh, like musically. I, I mean, I love Michael John Lacusa. I love Adam Gettle. I love Ricky Gordon. I love uh, Aaron's and Flaherty. Uh, and Bill Finn, as far as a lyricist, he was the reason that I started writing musicals. I heard you know I was a, I was a performer in undergrad and. And as I have always written songs, and you know, my girlfriend at the time popped in falsettos, and it kind of changed my life. And I was like, oh yeah, you can actually be really honest and tell an amazing story, and still have hooks and make your songs, you know, popular. And at the end of the day, leave the theater really feeling an honest emotion. So. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. And then, oh, God, what a trip when we show up at NYU day one of grad school, and we're sitting around like, you know, in the. Uh, Doing like professor roll call, and there's Bill Finn. They're like, wow, all right, this is going to be pretty great. So I'm curious, um, in the as as developing and burgeoning songwriters in the musical theater scene as you are, how do you how do you work on getting your work out there? What do you do to get noticed, to get your work heard, to start developing? What are all the various tactics you take? We've done a lot of those new singer evenings, actually new singer, like new singer-songwriter evenings, new musical theater composer evenings where, you know, it's five or six different writers and each person is doing a couple songs. And although that can be really difficult because, of course, there's no pay and you're also asking huge favors every time you call one of your actor friends to do this, I would say every time we've done one of those, it has led to something. Yeah. Um, for us, you know, right out of grad school, this was when uh, Joe's Pub was still doing the, what was that called, the Monday night? It was like a new artist, new new songwriter series. series. And, you know, we were like young kids and we, and we got one of these nights and, uh, um, and kind of everybody showed up. We got an agent out of that. We uh, developed a relationship with Lincoln Center and uh, that's been really helpful because, you know, I think people are... People are actively looking for for new writers, so it's not that difficult. Yeah, you just got to be out there yeah. doing stuff as, whenever you can. Whenever there's like an opportunity to get your songs in in a concert or or in some kind of forum uh, to be heard. Not to mention MySpace mm-hmm. is unbelievably helpful, helpful, but also kind of creepy too. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, we get. Uh, what we found is, you know, people would call and say, can we get a demo? Can you burn us a CD? <coughs> you can post songs online on your MySpace. People can download them, so we're not having to, like, burn CDs, spend money on postage. Right. Stuff. And once we put up songs, 
I mean, we have people every day emailing us requesting, you know, can we get the sheet music to this? Can we do the sheet music to that? Can we um, choreograph a dance to Passing Tracy, which actually happened. You can watch it on YouTube. Someone (laughs) (laughs) did like a modern dance to Passing Tracy. Right. So what what are your, um, do you you still have day jobs as well? Yeah. So what do you guys do to, to pay the bills while you're coming up? Ahead, uh, well, I've worked for the amazing, incredible uh, Janine Tesori for the last five years. Um, I've been her assistant, and and uh, her she's working on a little show right now. Yeah, she's working on a little show. <laughs> it's going off off Broadway. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's very small. <laughs> it's a very small show, uh, and yeah. So I I've I've sort of had the pleasure of of of. Being uh, of learning from her for for a very long time, so you know, and and I, I can't complain about that. It's been probably the best job somebody like me could probably ever have while I'm still trying to pay the bills. So, yeah, I'm still there, sort of a little bit m- more infrequently, but you know, I w- I would do anything for those guys. So, yeah. And Nathan, I've had the same day job now for five years and uh, teach a music class to babies, infants, like six months to three years. It's called Little Maestros. And uh, I've watched this company go from two locations on the Upper East Side to like taking over New York, (laughs) the tri-state area. And it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, it's It's a rock band for babies. So I like sing and play guitar and then we have a drummer and a keyboard player. But uh you know, I teach weekly classes, but I also do. Um, they also just signed a record deal with uh, Warner Brothers and Rhino Records, so I've been writing a lot of kids' songs for them too, uh, which has been great. And I've just met amazing musicians. Um, one of the musicians that I play with, you know, every week is our musical director. He came out here from San Francisco. He's totally talented, and I kept saying. Chris, you have to meet, his name is Justin Mendoza, you have to meet Justin, he'll be amazing. And uh, Chris met Justin, fell in love with him, and Justin's doing an amazing job. And uh, our fiddle player, too, used to play for the babies as well. So that's been uh, a real blessing, that job for me. Compared to doing, like, you know, crappy temp jobs and office work, which both of us have also done. (laughs) Yeah. We had the pleasure of graduating from NYU um, in 2001, and then, and then, you know, having been ha- having been in school for as long as we were, we went straight from undergrad to grad, and then we graduated in 2001, and then the world caught on fire, and we were sort of writers <laughs> in New York City, um, wondering what what to do with our lives because, you know, all of a sudden we didn't really have any prospects or any, or any any sort of forward motion because you know there was definitely something larger than us uh, taking place and it, it was sort of a, a huge hump to get over and also something to work through but definitely a huge part of our history uh, as writers in New York because we were sort of thrown to the wolves and you know it was a very interesting time, <laughs> the fall of 2001. <laughs> Definitely uh, getting uh, temp jobs for you know nine sixty an hour and and hoping for the best. But and student loans. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for the rest of my life. Yeah, for the rest of our lives, yeah. student loans. You know, they kick in and 
you know, Sally Mae stalks the shit out of me. Yeah. But I think, you know, Chris and I were very, very lucky where we, you know, at NYU found a collaborator that seems like, you know, a lifetime partnership. And we just have continually written, you know, yeah. and uh, just keep working on new projects. And, uh, you know, I feel like people know who we are, but I think it's also kind of amazing and sad that finally we're having our first show in New York. It's taken a while, you know. Well, let's hear another one of the songs from that, that show. All right. Yeah. Want to set up this next one? Yes, this song is called The Subway Song. Right. And uh, I think this song um, it comes third in the show right now. Um, I think it, it speaks the most about what 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 the show is really about it's about a guy that works at a uh, subway sandwich shop in West Virginia he's totally stuck and dreams of of being something greater and uh, i feel like a lot of the songs that we've written for this show um kind of talk about our generation and the fact that i think a lot of us are are afraid of settling there's a there's a big fear of settling or or um being feeling trapped and uh there's definitely this kind of like movement where like you know no one in our generation is is keeping the same job or living in the same city or uh you know really even sticking with the same number <coughs> you know people are constantly moving and, and and there's that uh there's that fear and i think this guy at the subway sandwich shop really articulates it the best and kind of sets the tone for the rest of the show so. yeah all right let's take a listen. subway song and this is sung by Matt Kaplan, Luther Creek, and Wayne Wilcox. Yes. Wake up, greet the day with the afternoon sun. Have to be at work by a quarter to one. Give a yank to the khakis and the collar in my closet. To the bank where I take out even more than I deposit. A quarter tank of gas, enough to make it there at least. Draw a blank. On how I ended up a sandwich artist Repeat the routine, keep on smiling despite I feel like I'm Han Solo, frozen in carbonite Where I punch my little time card Like I'm punching panel siding And I bunch my dreams together Till I can't find where they're hiding Subs for lunch again Give me a beer and a bowl of cereal I have a hunch I'm not subway manager material Frankly, there's no prospects in Franklin, West Virginia You settle for a fraction of bliss Minimum life, minimum love, minimum wealth, minimum action My story gets worse with every page Doing maximum time at minimum wage Home sweet shack again, hit the bed with no shower No use getting clean for 5.15 an hour when you die, all you have is life, experience, and knowledge. Time goes by. Look, you're in your seventh year of college. Blink an eye, you're buried by the loans that you accrue. 
so you lie to everyone about the job you do. Frankly, there's no prospects in Franklin, West Virginia. You settle for a fraction of bliss. Minimum life, minimum love, minimum wealth, minimum action. I'm a fine wine spoiled at an early age. And my forest green hat saying, want to drink with that? Doing maximum time at minimum wage. like home if you like to sit and rot so we ride and we try to give each trip a deeper meaning and we hide from growing up so there's no use intervening we decide to run it's our generation's cancer terrified of being trapped searching for an answer Frankly, there's no prospects in Franklin, West Virginia. You settle for a fraction of bliss. Minimum life, minimum love, minimum wealth, minimum action. The lamest story ever put on stage. Everybody sing the song. You want a six inch or foot long. Doing maximum time at Sooner more than later, let me do something greater than maximum time at minimum wage. All right, so Fugitive Songs is opening at the Dreamlight Theater Company. And where where is that? Where is it performing here? It's performing. Uh, we'll be at the Forty Fifth Street Theater uh, between eighth and ninth. Um, yeah, so pretty easy Street. for people to get to. They don't yeah. have to like find their way down a side street in the East Village. No, no, it's all very on the up and up. <laughs> it's on the main floor. Yeah, it's this beautiful black box. Uh, and taking the information, you can go to ticks.com, or you can also go to dreamlighttheater.org. And uh, there's information about the cast, the creative team, and Tell also us a little bit more about the, the creative shows. team and everybody involved. On the would love to. Our director is named Joe Calarco, and uh, we have been working with Joe wow. since 2003. Yeah, and he has helped us um, with most of our projects. Yeah, um, we wrote a show with Joe called The Mysteries of Harris Burdick, which is based on a picture book by Chris Van Allsburg, who also did Jumanji and Polar Express. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is getting its world premiere at Barrington Stage Company this summer, which we're very excited about. And uh, Joe is an amazing director and also an amazing writer. And we had done a show of our music at the Nymph Festival, the first Nymph ever, at uh, upstairs at Studio 54. 
And Joe came over to us and just said, we have to do an evening of your music. We have to do some sort of song cycle. And, it's, and what we love about Joe is that he wasn't saying, let's do a review. You know, it's let's try to really find some sort of fantastic organizing principle to make it uh, a worthwhile evening of theater. And he's been instrumental in, instrumental in helping us kind of shape the show and, and pick the song list and the set list. Mm-hmm. And who are some of the actors that are in the production? Well, we have D.B. Bonds, recently of Bill Finn's uh, glorious review, Make Me a Song. Uh, Hallie Petro, who uh, was with us at Barrington for the Burnt Part Boys. She was in the world premiere of that. She's fantastic. She's a fantastic singer. And we're actually going to hear her, uh, the third song that we'll play today. Hallie's singing it. Yeah. Todd Pettiford, um, who, late of The Lion King and Rent, uh, is a fantastic singer as well. Uh, Ben Roseberry, also an amazing singer-songwriter in his own right and uh, great singer. Uh, He's a a castaway of Rent, I believe. Yep. And uh, Lucia Spina, who uh, also, uh, she's... uh, she was in Les Mis and the Spelling Bee and uh, is a fantastic singer. They all just sing their faces off for, for an hour and 15 minutes, and, and it's really wonderful. Just out of curiosity always with these things, um, how much of the casting was like an extensive search and how much was like you pulling in people that you knew and liked working with and knew were talented? Hallie was the only actor that we had worked with before. Mm-hmm. Um, this this was a fairly extensive search. Uh, Chris and I did our first um, day of EPAs, which was kind of fascinating. Yeah, to, it was... to, you know to watch you know from nine to five you know people coming in and singing sixteen bars, and you see forty fifty people in a day. Um, and Todd came through, I think. No, on he, the EPAs. he didn't. He, he didn't. didn't. Oh, yeah. okay. I don't um, think any. Sad to say, I don't think any of the people that made it <laughs> came from the. EBA. But they made some call. They did get some callbacks. So. Yeah. I mean, anyway, yeah. yeah, it was fascinating, and it was very cool. I think to to work with people that we've never worked with before, and that we're very excited to work on a new piece. And uh, you know, the best part for us, I think, is we, I, I feel like we have a very unique sound. And when we did callbacks, we of course asked everyone to to learn a couple of our tunes and come in and sing them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Todd was the first one of um, the cast we actually uh, ended up going with that came in. And, and for the guys, we, uh, it was probably rude, but we asked him to learn three songs. And, uh, <laughs> and Todd came in, and, and he sang Passing Tracy. I got a whole album. I got 30 songs. Learn them all, and I'll ask you at random <laughs> to sing. Right. Because at that point, we didn't really know... This, the arc of the story and, and who right. these characters are going to be and what the archetypes were. So Todd came in and he laid down Passing Tracy. I mean, he just was so amazing mm-hmm. that they were like, well, you know, can you sing this one? And, of course, he laid that one down to it. And you're like, you know, we might as well. It's almost like he's teaching us a workshop on how to, like, perform our material because he was so good. We're like, ah, and sing the third one, too. And he did, and, and that was great. And yeah. We just knew we, we had to... We're like, well, we got to put him in there somewhere. Right. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, uh, Chris Miller and Nathan Tyson, I thank you guys for coming in to talk about Fugitive Songs. Uh, before we play the last song, just it's again, it's at dreamlighttheater.org. Uh, they can go to find out more information playing from March 9th through March 30th. 
And uh, I understand we got one more song here to play from yep. the show. Do you want to set that up? Now, the lyric has changed a little bit um, in the show. This is now a duet. Um, but right, the song we're going to be listening to is called Patty and Dee Dee. And uh, it's basically about a woman who fantasizes that she could have the life of Patty Hearst. All right. <laughs> Here's someone to fantasize. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming in, and let's take a listen to Patty and Dee Dee. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Since the first grade of private school Patty Hearst made People pay attention, got the worst grades The lowest of the low, but she had the deepest pockets In all of San Francisco Patty and Dee Dee Loved her like a sister Dee Dee and Patty Who would have guessed Dee Dee got duped by her two-timing husband knock who's there who's there patty went bad with a bang at her door knock 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 who's there who's there you can't plan 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 anymore from the first shot a nightly news patty hearse got everybody thinking and the worst Spinning through my head Those urban gorillas Should have snatched me instead Patty and Dee Dee Destined for a breakdown Dee Dee and Patty Got our daddies to thank Dee Dee's doing time in her high-rise apartment Patty's doing time for robbing a bank Knock, knock, knock Knock, knock, who's there, who's there? You can't plan, 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 plan any more. Day to day, home alone. I'm stuck or I'm stalling. Unlock door, willing girl. And no one comes calling.
best of company. Queen Elizabeth has proved ripe through the ages for uh, theater and dramatization, and there's a new take of this being presented by Niku Spoon Theater, Elizabeth Rex, and we have two of the actors in that, as well as uh, I believe artistic director Stephanie Barton Farkish and uh, actor Michael DeJoya here with us to talk. How are you guys doing? Good. Hi. <laughs> I got both the names, didn't I? Yes, yes. you did. Wow. <laughs> Miraculously, yeah. <laughs> so, how are you guys doing today? Good, very good. We were a little tired. We had a long rehearsal yeah, yesterday. Long but we're good. We're good. But it's a great rehearsal. Well, let's kind of start this off with the obvious. Uh, tell us a little bit about the play Elizabeth Rex, and then we can get into all the other juicy details of your company. In the <laughs> I don't want to do most no. of the. No, go ahead. Her talking. Majesty will go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's a um, history play, uh, really, as opposed to a period play. Um, I mean, it's a period play, but um, takes place the eve of um, the execution of Shrove Tuesday, right? The eve of uh, Elizabeth having Essex executed. And she is unable to sleep, rest, think, function, whatever. And William Shakespeare's company had performed for her earlier that day. This is all historical fact, and uh, is this like ten thousand BC historical fact? <laughs> no, it's really historical fact. This is true. Yes, she she actually <laughs> called him and his Lord Chamberlain yep. Chamberlain's men to the to her palace yep. to perform in the barn to yep. be distracted. But they don't really know what play they did, but they do know it happened. So he know. kind of put in the play he liked. They produced Wicked. Yeah, that was it. No, Rent. It was Rent. rent. (laughs) (laughs) Avenue Q. Um, And so after the play, some of the actors have uh, escaped, um, uh, not escaped the curfew, and they're stuck in the barn, and uh, the queen and her small retinue come down to the barn to be distracted throughout the night. And um, it, 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 what he does, he creates a whole world of fictitious characters backstage, you know, like the dresser mm-hmm. and all the actors. And all the actors, of course, then at that time played women's roles. Um, and I play Shakespeare's leading actor female roles. Um, and, she, and Queen Elizabeth befriends me because uh, in this play, the, uh, written by Timothy Findlay, by the way, a Canadian yep. playwright, who died in 2002, I wanted to Stunning man, yes. Um, he, he decides to go a step further with the whole event. And so he introduces all these backstage characters, and he decides that the play that she saw that night was Much Ado About Nothing. And in that play, you have Beatrice, which is the role I play. Which is a very strong female role. Yes, a strong female role, which she, the queen can relate to. Uh, with that said, she comes backstage to meet us and befriends me. And, um, do I have a friend you? Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you? Or not. No? Attacking each other, yeah. 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 Yes. They do. They, there's an instant something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, um, and for many reasons, 
uh, I happen to be dying of syphilis, so I really don't care what I say to her. I'm going to die anyway. I know my, my days are numbered. So I could care less. I just let her have it. I, I say what's on my mind about what I think about her, about her politics and whatnot, about her love for Essex. And, and, um, and basically the night becomes about her teaching my character, Ned, how to die like a man, because she's played the man, the king, for so long. She, how many years did she reign? Forty? Forty-five. Forty-five years. Never married. Never the married. The virgin queen. And I teach her how to mourn the death of her ex-lover, the Earl of Essex, who's going to be beheaded in the morning. And so with that said, all, you know, all this... Um, stuff goes on between them. She allows me to basically pick on her, and I do the same in a loving way. But and all these other issues come up. Politics, sexuality, homosexuality, yeah. love, um, loss. What, what does it mean to be a w man? What does it mean to be a woman? All that stuff. Yeah. I have to say, hands down, without a doubt, this is one of the best plays I've read in a long, long time. In a long time. Yeah, it's great. It touches on so many things. And, wait, with Hillary Clinton <laughs> up for the presidency, yes. you know, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think, oh, my God, all right, if she wins, we have our, we're going to have our own queen. And I happen to be dying of syphilis, which was called the pox back yeah. then, mm -hmm. which is really AIDS today. It's, uh, pox, it's so pertinent. Yeah. yeah. It went uncured yeah. from four, uh, 14... 93 to 1917. Yeah. Syphilis went uncured. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's other issues, the gay issue and some of the members of his company, the acceptance of, you know, the whole thing with Luddy, the things that he says. Yeah. Yeah. About the whole... Gender issues. And gender homosexuality issues. and yeah. sexuality. It, it could be general. today. It could be today. You know, it's really interesting. And it's not in Shakespearean text... It's in very accessible text, mm -hmm. um, so it's not like, yeah. you know, yeah. right, yeah. up in, the, in your face and very <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it's understandable. And although uh, there are pieces of Shakespeare, like she asks me, did you play such and such a part? And I go, yes, I did. And I launch into um, Queen Margaret, you know, from uh, Richard, King Richard the Third. Yeah. You know, so there's, what a role, you know, I can't, you know. And then they start to role play together in the second act. They start to read roles and role play together and play with that. So, on book and off book. <laughs> now, this was originally produced in Canada in, what, 2000? 2000. 2000. 2000. And, and I understand there's kind of an interesting story of you finally getting it here to New York. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, it was produced there in 2000. I think we found it in 2001. Fell in love with it as a company and uh, applied every single year for rights, um, not knowing that Timothy Finley had died and that his uh, one of his relatives um, took umbrage to his uh, homosexuality and challenged him leaving rights to the Canadian Playwrights Guild. And so it sat in probate court in Canada for, God, five, six years. 
Um, and so tail end of 2006, I thought, well, I'll sneak up on them. I'll apply for 2008. I'll catch them off guard. Mm-hmm. And um, so applied again, yet again, um, and got the letter and was like, okay, it's going to be a no. And opened it up and they went, you've got rights. New York premiere, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. and then they enclosed kind of a little thing and said, this is why you didn't get rights for so long, but you're the company that has been on us every year to get rights to this. So That's great. It's been so a long persistence time counted? It's been a long time coming, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I actually did never, I, I didn't act for the first five years of the company, I was busy running it. Um, uh, so it had never crossed my mind to play the queen, ever. Um, and it wasn't until we got rights and I sent the text to the company members and said, read it. We have rights. Isn't it marvelous? And they read it and then uh, emailed me back and said, oh, my God, blah, blah, it's wonderful. Stunning. You're going to play the queen, right? And I went... No. <laughs> Why would I do that? And then they just kept, like, harping on me, um, saying, you have to play the queen, you have to play the queen. You have to play. And it took a, quite a few readings to get into actor brain and read the queen as an actor, not as a producer or artistic director or whatever. Um, but once I was able to read it as an actor, I was like, oh, I was sunk. <laughs> yeah, now, I was in love. Yeah. How long has your company been going? Um, it's our eighth season. So. And how recently did you move into your permanent space? April of 2007. So how is that? It's, <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Having a whole floor uh, permanent space, we get keep all our stuff there, it's great. Um, It's great, yeah. It's hard, it's tougher. It's more worry, more strange, more more (laughs) random, but um, uh, much better, and much better for working on a show. Because your set's there immediately. Your costumes, your props, they're there. You don't have to go, I need to have a goblet. Let's go get a goblet at the store. It's, you have to lug it from the rehearsal shelf, studio to you know? rehearsal studio. Yeah, so yeah. we do everything there. So it makes it a lot easier. And uh, so that, do you like rent out the space yes. when you're not using it we and do. doing yeah, presentations? Yeah. yeah. How often are? How often do you find yourself taking in the facilities just with your own company? We do three shows a year. Um, three main stages. So about six months of the year are ours, and we rent the other half. And I understand uh, Michael was mentioning before we started the interview that you make a point of casting differently abled people in your mm-hmm. in your show as well. Mm-hmm. You maybe tell us a little bit about w- w- why you d- you, that is such an important part of your mission. I'm doing all the talking. No, no, <laughs> no. This is this is your um, your, your territory. Uh, I mean, it's part of our mission statement, I guess, um, uh, to really that belief that everyone has a right to be an artist. 
um, no matter what color or ability or gender or age or whatever. Um, so we um, cast against type a lot. We cast against uh, color, ethnicity, age a lot. Um, this is a great play for us because of all the gender issues and things. Um, and we have worked with uh, deaf audiences and artists and differently abled actors um, since 2002. So, uh, and involve them as much as we can, which is like a lot. <laughs> Turns out being <laughs> like every show. Um, so was it was there something that spurred this as being like something you really went after, or did it just kind of happen? Or it's because of uh, our our patron saint, um, Niku. <laughs> uh, Niku Spoon. Uh, Niku was a little boy that I knew in Romania um, after the wall fell, and I went over to take care of some abandoned kids and hospitals and stuff. And he was uh, getting ready ready to be shipped to ugh, this horrible place where they put you from five, five years on up in just a big room. Everybody's in underwear and you know, no, they're just This like, sounds like a Calvin Klein It's like you. lunatic. No, it's like a <laughs> horrible place. It's like lunatics, psychotics, <laughs> small children, and they just leave Still you Still sounds like, like a Calvin Klein ad <laughs> <I> shoot. <know. laughs> um, but I found him uh, in the wards at about four and a half, and um, they told me he's blind, he's deaf, he's stupid, he's retarded, he's... You name it. Uh, he'll never walk. He'll never blah, 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 ad nauseum. And um, I just really didn't believe it. I just thought there was something in there. Um, so uh, we kind of worked with family units. So I did a major battle to get him in my family unit. And um, about six months after I got him, he walked and talked. And uh, tell him about the spoon. Then the spoon. Mm -hmm. um, his biggest thing, because he had never been out of a crib, ever. He was huge. He was like enormous in a, in a crib. And they um, had did it was like assembly line. They just went bottle, 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 and bottle fed them this horrible gray oatmealy gruel. Ugh, stuff. Um, so there's a point in a child's development where you learn to chew. And he had missed that because he had just been on a bottle all the time. How old was he when you, when you finally... Four and a half. Oh, okay. And so um, that was like his last bastion of defense was... You know, I'll practice walking, I'll practice talking, I'll do this, but I ain't giving up the bottle. Mm -hmm. You know, and he was a big boy. He was a big, solid fella. So uh, we had um, uh, some good, serious wrestling matches over the bottle and me trying to get a spoon into his mouth. Because um, I just thought if I can get food in there, and he goes, 
Wow, food. Oh, my God. Ah, oh, he'll give up this crap in the bottle. Um, and uh, I think it was applesauce I was working with. And one day I finally got him down and popped his jaw open and shoved in applesauce. And um, it was like, you know, the Klieg light went on above his head and he was just like, oh, wow. And since then, his, uh, like he wouldn't let go of the spoon. He kept it with him. He wanted to sleep with it, play with it. Uh, carry it around. He talked to it. He bounced sunlight off of That's it the like. in the windows and would watch the patterns and stuff. And, um, and it was a big deal. Everybody was like, oh, my God, Nico's eating. He's eating from a spoon. Come look. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look. Um, now, was that still in Romania when that happened? Yeah. Yeah. And so every time anything seemed really just... Uh, Extraordinarily impossible, you know. And somebody go, oh, we can't do it. It won't work. Somebody would go, well, remember Niku's spoon? And we all go, yeah. So years later, <laughs> when we were creating this company um, and doing a really large developmental tool piece and writing and finding forms and doing taxes and things um, and at, which seemed impossible and mind numbing and at the same time we needed to pick a name and nobody had a clue <laughs> we all sat around and went I don't know and all of a sudden I, it, it hit me and I went ah oh, let me tell you a story about a boy and I told them the story, and I said, what about Niku's spoon? And they went, ah, that's it. And so that's kind of our mission statement, the whole point, the whole everything, that everyone deserves a chance at life, at art, at love, at whatever. Mm. So... So Elizabeth Rex is running from April 2nd to the 19th. That's right. Wednesday through Sundays, 8 p.m., uh, with a, two shows on Saturday, April 19th, a 3 o'clock and an 8 o'clock. That's our only matinee. And, and where's your theater at? 38 West, 38th Street, 5th floor. <laughs> All right. Well, Stephanie Barton Farkish and Michael DeJoya. Come right again. Yes. And uh, <laughs> thanks so much for coming by and talking about Elizabeth Rex. I wish you the best of luck with your run and uh, with the continuing success for Niku Spoon. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. Listening room. John Raymond Pollard is a good friend and longtime uh, recording client of mine. And the new album that he just finished with me uh, producing here in the studio, I actually thought might be of interest to some of you guys. It's a little bit different than his normal fare. Uh, the album is called Character. It's out now on iTunes and CD Baby. And uh, basically takes on a bunch of different characters over each song. And in a lot of ways, I kind of view this as a, a song cycle CD, you know, very similar to what some people do. So um, the song was written by John Raymond Pollard, uh, produced by the two of us together here in my studio. The CD is out now, and in this song, At Stake, he channels Joan of Arc. Clearly, 
I saw there was so much at stake A land divided, mad dogs at the gate And without Paris, there could be no France I begged the king, he gave me a chance St. Louis help me I pray Hey.
as a fiefdom where seraphim sing. Watch out the devil and dragons have wings. Hush, I hear voices. The So that was At Stake from John Raymond Pollard from his CD character with guest vocals by Isabella Rose. Uh, thought it might be of some interest to you. It's a, it's a real different sort of album. And he takes on tons of different styles musically and different characters, hence the title character. It's available on iTunes and CD Baby. You can also find a link to that uh, at our show notes page at broadwaybullet.com for volume 204. Top of the trades. The Al Hirschfeld Foundation and New York City Department of Education have announced that they will be launching the Al Hirschfeld Project. The project will allow teachers to teach the arts through the lines of Hirschfeld's immortal caricatures. The curriculum is set up to be used by dance, visual arts, and the performing arts by using Hirschfeld to discuss the performing arts throughout the last century. Based on the 1985 film of the same name, Mask will have its world premiere in California on March 12, 2007. The story of a disfigured boy and his tenacious mother will star Alan E. Reed opposite Michelle Duffy. James B. Friedberg, the producer of Big, is hoping to take the musical much further than California. The book was written by the screenwriter for the film, Anna Hamilton Phelan, with music and lyrics by Barry Mann and Cynthia Vile. The John F. Kennedy Center has announced its 2008-2009 season, which will include a new production of Lynn Aaron's and Stephen Flaherty's Ragtime. The season is slated to open with Blanche and Beyond and will also feature Barbara Cook in her concert series, Cook Spotlight. Broadway tours will make their way into the Kennedy Center as well. Legally Blonde the Musical, Spring Awakening, Frost Nixon, and The Color Purple. The Call Board is sponsored by BroadwayWorld.com. Be sure to visit Broadway World for all of your theater news and socializing. Curtain Call. This, the second week of March, we'll see two shows closing. The 39 Steps on Broadway at the American Airlines Theater and The Jesus Factor off-Broadway at the Barrow Street Theater. Countdown to Rent's final bow, 10 weeks and 6 days. Well, that about wraps up this episode. I've been keeping crazy. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Remember, Broadway Bullet is dropping every second and fourth Thursday of the month. So uh, we'll be seeing you shortly. And in the meantime, uh, my name again is Michael Gilbo. You know, email me if you're interested in Cupid, you know, mgilbo at broadwaybullet.com. And until next episode, thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. Christmas Carol regionally. That Dickens has made enough money in the Many minutes trying to sell my note with no shame.
But we kept all the jokes that made people laugh from before. Because Rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.